let's all stand up and greet one another and get ready for Wednesday night Bible study. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, let's open up our Bibles tonight and go to Revelation chapter number 3. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a great night planned. And I tell you what, let's give God a hand for the crowds we've been having in Bible study. Amen. I tell you, it's awesome to see uh, God's family being a family and coming together and doing these things. I'm thankful for Pastor Malcolm for allowing me to have the opportunity to come tonight and preach and teach and share God's Word. If uh, you've never met me before, my name is Travis Sharp. I'm the leader of Unsheltered International. Uh, our ministry is involved in homeless ministry and disaster relief, and we work right here out of Temple, and we are glad to uh, do so. We're the ones that help do the resource clinics in Birmingham, and we've got another one of those coming up on October the 13th. It'll be our last one for the year. And that is an awesome time of evangelism, of preaching, of serving, praying with people, and loving on people that need a friend. If you want more information about that, there's dozens of people in here that come to every one of those. Uh, like Todd and Angela here on the front row, Carla is here somewhere. She comes to every one of them uh, right there. You'll hear her in just a moment as well. Amen. Uh, but if you want more information about the resource clinic, see me after church. We would love for you to come. We need uh, warm-blooded bodies to volunteer and to, and to be a blessing. And this will be our last one for the year, at least uh, in this area. Well, you got your place in Revelation chapter 3. Say amen. Let's look at verse number 14. As you know, in uh, the book of Revelation opens up, and uh, in verse number 1, we learn that John is writing, and he's uh, exiled to the island of Patmos, and he is writing, 
and talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gives him. And when you get down into the into uh, chapter 2, he begins talking to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And when we get down to chapter 3, verse 14, he addresses the church of the Laodiceans. And you heard Pastor Malcolm, if you were here Sunday, speaking and saying that he believes that we are living in the Laodicean church age. And what that means is there's many similarities between the church that Jesus addressed in the verses we'll read tonight and the church as we know it today. And these, by the way, are not great similarities. These are uh, similarities that, that, frankly, speak somewhat to our shame. And tonight I want to talk to you about the subject of a revival reminder. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look into this church and we're going to see three notable problems they had. But then we're going to see how that Jesus, as he was addressing them, gave them three reminders. And those three reminders were, were, were keys to fixing the three problems. And I hope and pray that it will be a blessing tonight. Let's read in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Boy, isn't that sobering. God knows mine too. And as me and my wife were doing the devotion that, that Pastor uh, Malcolm put together for us today, uh, he kind of reminded me of that. Uh, we examined ourselves, I guess it was Monday, and then uh, a preparation, I think, was yesterday, and today was separation. And, and God knows our works. He says that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Verse 18, it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Here's a key verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. We're going to leave off reading there, and before we pray, if you need a copy of tonight's lesson, just raise your hand real quick, and Brother Johnny will, will bring you one. Right over here to my left, uh, Brother Johnny. Anybody else? Oh, right over here to my right in the middle. 
We, we have some. Just keep your hand up just a moment. There's a guy right behind you with one. Thank you, guys. All right. Is that everybody? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and I uh, just thank you for our Bible study. Thank you for those that have gathered. Most of all, thank you for your word. It's our compass, Lord. It's our road map. It shows us what truth is and what is right and wrong. And Lord, it really illuminates our heart and our soul and makes things clear. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray as we're approaching revival time that you would give us these reminders tonight and that we would benefit from it. And may this not just be a time of, of one person lecturing. Uh, may this be a time of all of us hearing from God and from God's Word. So, Lord, I'm asking you to speak to us. And, Lord, I'm the mouthpiece, I reckon, so I pray you'd speak through me. But most of all, God, settle in with us tonight. We just invite you into this room and into this sanctuary. and We invite you into our lives and ask you to check us out, Lord, and look at us and look in us and show us those things that we can't see and help us, Lord. And when revival uh, meetings start on Sunday morning, I pray, God, that we would be prepared and ready, that nothing would stand in the way of of God doing a great work. We love you, and we'll talk to you again in a little while. God, I pray you be, be with our message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you so much for standing. There's, there's certainly a lot of things that we need in our land today. I think every one of us can, could agree tonight that we need political reform. We need help. Say amen right there. We definitely need economic recovery. Our nation needs help. We need moral restoration. Leaders that will stand and stand with God's word and for right. And you know I read an article that Tim shared with me uh, we went and ministered in New Orleans last weekend, and several other folks went during the summer. And I read an article where there was a pastor and several of his uh, church members that were arrested last week for preaching after 10 p.m. on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. They've, they've made an ordinance now that you cannot aggressively solicit after 10 p.m. there in the French Quarter. And so preaching and passing out tracts falls under this city ordinance, and they arrested them, held them in jail for a hour, and they're facing $500 fine. Meanwhile, uh, all of the, the lewdness and all of the wickedness just continues to grow and to roll on. And so we definitely need moral restoration in our land. But, you know, if we're going to dig deep into answers. It's going to take more than political reform or uh, economic recovery or moral restoration. I believe it starts with me and you, with you and I in the house of God, and I believe what we need above all is a spiritual renewal or a spiritual revival. And these verses tell us something about that. It is, uh, I read one 
uh, commentator Warren Wearsby today, he said that the church at Laodicea had lost their vigor, they'd lost their values, and they had certainly lost their vision. And I would say that reading these verses, that is very true. I want to take a moment, though, and look at what I believe, uh, according to these verses, are three of the main issues or the main problems that they encountered. Problem number one, and you can write this in that first blank there, is, is indifference. The problem of indifference. In verses 14 through 16, we, we read these verses a while ago, and that's these famous verses where Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. What was happening here, I believe, is is that these Christians had grown cold. And after probably months and years of spiritual coldness, they actually went to a worse state than being cold, and that was lukewarmness, as the Bible describes. And in other words, you say, what does that really mean? Uh, I believe it means that they had uh, developed a kind of a take it, or leave it attitude. When it comes to the, the, the things of God, when it comes to the, the spiritual things in their life, I believe that they could take it or leave it, so to speak. And as I was studying this this morning, I, I came across the scriptures and found that in the Christian life, there are at least three uh, different spiritual temperatures that you and I as God's children can experience. Uh, a, if you're writing this down, we, we'll find that it's not A, it's, it's, uh, there's no letters or alphabet here. But first of all, a burning heart is described in the scriptures. Uh, and that is in Luke 24 and 32, the Bible says, And they said one to another, this is the men walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, and Jesus appeared to them, but they didn't know it was Jesus. And after he left, they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And, and so the Bible describes a heart that is burning on fire for God. And, and boy, I want my heart to be like that, don't you? But secondly, the Bible describes a cold heart. A cold heart. In Matthew 24 and 12 it says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I think it's undeniable that, that many of us in different seasons of our Christian walk, we grow cold and indifferent to the things of God. I'll be the first to admit, I know I have I know that I have many times grown cold and my heart has not been on fire for God but what's described here is a lukewarm heart and that's that third blank right there a lukewarm heart and that's the verse we have before us he says so then because thou art lukewarm neither hot nor cold the lukewarm Christian he's comfortable he or she is complacent and does not realize their need. If he were cold, at least he would feel it. 
both the cold water from Colossae and the hot water from Hierapolis would be lukewarm by the time it was piped to Laodicea. And I've studied this, and you probably have too. Uh, the, the, the warm springs of Colossae were uh, probably six miles away from Laodicea. And they had created aqueducts where they would literally dump this water to Laodicea where there was no water. And from the time it would leave Colossae and head down to, uh, let's see, down to Heropolis, in the middle was Laodicea. And it was hot springs in Colossae and it had medicinal purposes. It would heal and it could help your joints and it could be used for all kinds of uh, medical reasons. And then when it was ice cold down there in Heropolis, it was refreshing to the soul. And, and it would really, uh, a drink of that water would be great, say, to a weary traveler or someone who'd labored all day in the sun. But in Laodicea, their water that was ducked through uh, was not hot like it was fresh out of the springs. And it was not cold after it had traveled 11 miles. It was somewhere in the middle. It was lukewarm. And so Jesus is pointing out to them. He says, your spiritual temperature is a lot like the water that is in your city. It's not good for much of anything. Certainly if a, if a, a weary traveler stopped by and, and stooped down to get a drink of this lukewarm water, it would not immediately refresh them. They might actually want to spit it out because it just didn't taste good. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making. Isn't it something how the Lord communicated with this group of believers in terms that they could understand? He does that with you and me, by the way. Uh, like the Laodiceans, many Christians today have become indifferent or complacent. It's easy to have a, a, a take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude. I listed a few possible areas of our lives where we can have this spiritual indifference, like Bible reading and family devotion time, prayer, soul winning, tithing, giving, uh, missions, biblical separation. All these things are areas where sometimes we're in danger of being indifferent. I've probably told this story here before, but it, it bears repeating because it just kind of uh, illustrates it well. There was a lady that came to our homeless shelter in Augusta where I worked one time, and, and she came in. She wasn't homeless, but she did get evicted from her house, but she had got another one, and, and so she wasn't homeless. She was just in between, and she came to the mission one day, and she, I was sitting at the check-in counter, and she asked if uh, she came up, and she was distraught. I mean, she was just worried, and, and you could tell she'd been crying. She had her little son with her. And she asked, she came to the counter, and I was working at the counter, which I normally never did that, but I happened to be there that morning. And she explained to me that she got evicted, she had a new place, but all of her stuff was on the curb at her old house. And if she didn't get help to get it moved to her new place across town, the garbage came the next morning, she would lose her last possession. And she wanted to know if there was somebody at the mission there, that if we could help her move her stuff. Well, me being the kind-hearted, uh, compassionate soul that I was, I, I, I just basically, I was real busy that day. and I didn't really 
think I had time to fool with nobody else. I had my hands full with ministry. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, we're, we're not a moving company. Uh, we just, you know, we don't do that, but there's a phone over there, and here's a phone book, and make some calls. And she just looked at me with such disappointment. She went over, and she called and called and called, and, and no, you know, I don't guess she got nothing. And Well, the next morning, I was working the desk again. And it was early in the morning, like 7 o'clock or something, and in the door opened in the lobby, and here she came with her 8-year-old boy named James, 7 or 8-year-old boy. She walked up, and she'd been crying again. She had tears in her eyes this time, uh, right then. And Brother Jerry, she said this. She said, look, she said, could y'all please help me? The trash man comes in a couple hours. I just need to move my stuff. That's all I need. I really didn't want to be bothered again. I said, ma'am, I, you know, we just don't do that. We're a homeless shelter. We're, we're providing shelter and food, and if you need that, we can help you. Then she said this. She said, well, how about where is Brother Travis? Does he work here? Is this the place he works? And luckily we didn't wear name tags, you know. I said, well... I said, why do you want him? She said, well, that's why I came over here yesterday. She said, two or three people on the street told me that if I needed help, just go see Brother Travis at the mission, and he's a real man of God, and he'll help me. She said, is he here? I said, oh, Jesus. You know, God is my witness. I wanted to say he quit. He don't work here no more. Man, a lump in my throat, about big as a golf ball. And, and I thought, oh, man. And then I looked at her son, about seven or eight years old, and he's just looking at me. And boy, God sat down beside me. And he basically, the conversation went like this. God says, are you a man of God or not? And I said, Lord, <laughs> this ain't fair. <laughs> You know how busy we are. And, and then God says, you going to let that seven, eight-year-old boy let his final impression of a man of God be, I can't help you? And I thought, but Lord, it, this ain't fair. I don't like to move furniture. And God says, are you just, do you care? And I say, what? Well, Ma'am, I'm Travis, and I'll be right back. I'm going to get the keys, you know. Uh, and I went and got the keys. I rounded up two, three to men, and, buddy, we became two men in a truck real quick. My whole problem was I, I couldn't see her need because I, I was so caught up in doing ministry that I couldn't see that there was a, opportunity to help a real person right there. And I'm afraid that's how we get sometimes, isn't it? We're busy with our lives. We're busy at, at work. We're busy at home. And, and before we know it, we grow indifferent. Let's move on to the second problem. Before I realize how indifferent I was that particular day. Number two. 
Problem one was indifference, but the second problem was ignorance. Ignorance. And this is not a glamorous set of verses. I'll just tell you right now. This is a set of verses that you read it and digest it, then you walk away saying, gee, I didn't feel good at all. You know, you want to say, where's them verses that make you feel good? You know this, usually the verses that make me feel the best are the ones that read my mail, and then I, I realize where I'm wrong, and I confess it, and then get right, and reunion with God's will makes me feel the best. And this is one of them verses. You see, the church at Smyrna, which he, he spoke about in chapter 2, verse 9, they thought that they themselves were poor when they were really rich. Let's read chapter 2, verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. This is a church that didn't have nothing. But, but they were working and living for God. And, and they thought they was poor. But God said, man, you are rich. You've got me and you realize it. But the Laodicean church, they thought they were rich when in fact God said they were poor. And if this isn't a picture of the American church today, I honestly don't know what is. Perhaps we have, we have here a hint of why this church declined spiritually. They had become proud of their ministry and had begun to, to measure things by human standards instead of by spiritual values. They were in the eyes of the Lord wretched and miserable and poor. And it's right there in the verses. Laodicea was a wealthy city and a banking center. Perhaps some of the spirit of the marketplace crept into the church so that their values became twisted. Can you see that happening today in America? Boy, I can. The solution, pay, Jesus says the solution is pay the price to get true gold tried in the fire. Now, this suggests that the church needed some persecution. They were too comfortable. And nothing makes God's people examine their priorities faster than suffering. Did you know that's why I believe that the church, the Christian church, is growing faster in places like China and India and Vietnam than it is here on our own soil? Persecution. The gospel has always flourished under persecution. The gospel has always digressed under affluence. God help us. The Laodiceans were blind. They could not see reality. It is said that they were, they were living in a fool's paradise, proud of a church that was about to be rejected by God. 
These people could not see themselves as they really were, nor could they see their Lord as he stood outside the door of the church and knocked. And today, we have much the same situation going on. We think we've got it going on, man. I mean, we think if we have the, the, the highest attendance, boy, God must be pleased. Or if we have every new gadget. Or if we have everything that the other church across town has. Then boy, we are rich. But it never fails. God always looks past the outside stuff. By the way, just for the record. I don't think God has a problem with none of that stuff. I mean, and I'm all for it personally but not at the expense of our spiritual walk with God. If we substitute non-spiritual goods for God's person and activity and input in our life, the Bible says you're blind. You can't see. You don't know your true condition there was a boy that got saved in our mission in Augusta matter of fact he preaches all over the country today got saved got called to preach went to Bible school he's led hundreds to the Lord already his name was Brandon and Brandon was a very bad drug addict when he got saved I mean bad and smoked cigarettes like a freight train man I mean just one after another looked like a choo-choo train well, he got saved, and, and he started giving his cigarettes away. His testimony was this. Before I got saved, if you wanted to bum a cigarette, I'd, I'd, he said, I'd tell them to go get your own. I worked hard for this. You work for your own. But he said, well, first thing he did when he got saved, he went out of the mission chapel down to the smoke pit. He said God gave him a new heart. He began just freely give his cigarettes away. He told me what he was doing. He was so proud. He said, Brother Travis, I, I'm giving, man. God just changed my heart. I've become a giver. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, man, I'm sharing my cigarettes like never before. <laughs> he thought that, man, he was doing great. And I guess for where he'd come from, maybe he was, you know. But, but it's like he didn't know. All them other men was trying to kick the habit too. And he's just feeding them to him. He, his version of reality and God's version was a little bit different, I would imagine. And isn't it like that with us? We think, well, God, man, I, I'm going to church every week. I, I'm even part of a ministry team and and. I, Lord, I'm in a small group, and, and Lord, I, you know, I even give some. I'm good. But God told this congregation, he says, because you say I'm rich. He said, you say you're increased with goods. Watch this. And have need of nothing. In other words, they did not even see what they needed. He says, And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, naked, 
You're clothed with things that make you look right. But really, there's nothing there. I'm praying that this week during revival, God helps me to have my eyes open. I guarantee you there's areas in my life that, that, I, that are probably wrong and I don't even know it. That's why we're supposed to read our Bible. That's why we're supposed to pray. So God, you know, we talk to God when we pray. God talks to us when we read our Bible. And if we fail to do that, how will we ever see God's view of our life? And so they were indifferent. They were, there was ignorance. The third problem is inattentiveness. And I don't know if that's a real word, but there it is. The spell checker didn't, didn't stop me. So, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, watch this, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. If, not when, if. Why did Jesus say, if you hear anybody hears my voice? Because he knows that they were not listening. They were tuned in to all kinds of stuff. But not tuned in to God. And I don't guess there's ever been a better opportunity for us to get tuned in to outside things and, and by default not have time to tune in to inside things I know that's a trap I fall into let me move down to some of the good news tucked away right in the middle of this actually this rebuke I guess is what these verses are tucked away right in the middle of the problems we find verse 19 and let me just say thank God for verse 19 there's three reminders listed in there. I want to give them to you. Reminder number one, you are loved. You are loved. Write down the word loved right there. Amen. Jesus says this in verse 19, as many as I love. Now this is an awesome picture of the grace of God. And the love and the mercy and the long-suffering of God toward us. He's done red their, their rights, man. He said, listen, you're wretched. That's pretty strong. He says, you're miserable and you don't even know it. You're blind, he says. You're naked, he says. You're not even clothed with my righteousness. Basically, he's saying, I am displeased with you. Then he says, as many as I love. You know what God, I believe, wants to remind us of tonight? He wants us to remember we are loved. It's so easy to get sideways with church and sideways with family and sideways with God and sideways with our prayer life and sideways with our Bible until we get into this routine of not even walking with God and then God points it out to us and we feel like low down 
rotten dogs. At least sometimes I feel that way. And then right in the middle of me being caught out of the will of God, the Lord says this, I still love you. I love you. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think about this. Before you were ever born, before you ever committed one filthy sin, Jesus paid the price for your soul and mine. He shed his blood knowing how vile we would be. You say, well, I can't, I can't, I've, I've disappointed God. I, I, on that note, how can you disappoint the one that, that knows everything? But anyway, we won't talk about that. You say, I've disappointed God. I've let God down. I have fallen again. There's no way. There's no way I can recover. But Jesus says, you are loved. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. How do we overcome our indifference? By yielding ourselves to the faithful love of God. Of God. In other words, we need to come tonight and say, God, I realize even when I don't love you, and my actions certainly don't show it, you never skipped a beat. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Tribulations, persecutions, height, nor depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Listen, let's yield ourselves to that love and say, God, buckle my heart that I could work and operate knowing I'm loved. I shared a story with you about a friend of me in April's. Margaret, when she was a teenager, like 15, 14, her upbringing was not good. She actually became enslaved in child trafficking. You hear about that on the news sometimes and you hear that it's growing, but you don't believe it. Well, we met a precious lady. She's now my age, maybe a couple years older, but we met her out in California last year. And her story is this. As a, as a young teenage girl, she became a, 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 a basically a child slave. And she had this man, this group of men that, that she was a runaway and she got hooked on drugs and they fed her drug addiction and then they used her body to sell it to strangers. She was trapped in this lifestyle for several years. One day in San Francisco on the beach, she woke up, throwing up, hadn't bathed in days, uh, literally homeless, been high on on all kinds of drugs a day before. She hadn't eaten in days. She, she woke up and there was a seawall, and I got to see this place last uh, summer when I went out there. And 
and she leaned over the seawall sick and she threw up blood and and she said, God, help me, please. Her life was a wreck. Well, she finally got herself together and went walking down the boardwalk trying to find something to eat. And a lady came walking by and, and passed her and said, Dear, you look awful. Have you eaten? And she said, No. She gave her... I can't remember, 10 or 20 bucks, and said, Honey, go get you something to eat. Jesus loves you. Put that money in her hand. And she just kept on walking. And as soon as she put that money in her hand and said, Jesus loves you, Margaret said, Floods of memories came back to her mind. She was a little bitty girl, four and five years old. Her grandma loved God. She said she began to remember through the fog of the drug addiction and the overdosing and and the the hangover. She remembered her grandma bouncing her on her knee singing, Jesus loves me to her. And she said right then and there, she basically dropped down to her knees and said, God, if you're real, please save my life. Like grandma talked about. God, I'm a mess. Please save me. Her testimony is that right then and there, the Holy Ghost of God came into her heart, uh, regenerated her, and she was born again on that beach boardwalk that day. Today, Margaret Spears is a beautiful, educated, wonderful Christian wife and mother she gives the mission she's a member of her local church and she's a portrait of the grace of God and it's her testimony that that woman saying Jesus loves you is what brought her to a place where she looked up at God how about you tonight maybe somebody here tonight and you've never even been saved You just enjoy the services or you come with family. You know that Jesus loves you. Maybe you've strayed away from God and you think, I've gone too far. A thousand times, no. You're still breathing tonight. He still loves you tonight. You can give your life to him again and you can live for God again. Say amen. Number two, not only... Not only does he say, reminder number one, you are loved, but reminder number two, he says, you are are wanted. Write that word, wanted. You are wanted. And I'm not talking about the F-B-I. Amen. (laughs) Verse 19, he says, as many, (laughs) as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I rebuke and chasten. Now, those are pretty, as we think, as I think about those two words, brother, normally, I think nothing good can come out of being rebuked and chastened. I mean, it just, 
what good could come out of that? I mean, God's basically whipping me. God's basically saying, okay, you're going that way. It's wrong. Go that way. You know, but as I study this and as I look into it further, what I realize is what a gift from God. What a gift from God. You realize when he says, as many as I love, I love you. He says, I rebuke them and chasten them. What he's saying is this, not only are you loved, but you are wanted. He wants us. Even when we stray away, even when we go down the wrong path, even when we mess up, he still wants you and me. Now, to steal a phrase from your pastor, that cranks my tractor, if I had one. I ain't even got one, and it cranks it. He, he says, I, I love you. He says, I want you. And tonight, listen, I, what excites me about God, about this revival, is that God still wants me, even after I fail time and time again and mess up maybe in the same way I did last year or last week. God still wants me. That's his whole purpose. For rebuke. That's the purpose for chastening or chastisement. Not so that he can show us how bad we are. The purpose of the law was to show us our sin. Why? Just so we can say, okay, we're evil. No! So we can come and kneel before the grace of God and have a relationship with God. Tell you about my friend Mike Gurley. He owns an IGA grocery store over in Warrington, Georgia. I've known him for years. Went hunting with him last year, and he, he's been a big supporter of our ministry for many, many years. A couple, couple years ago, Mike called me up and he said, Guess what? He's crying. I said, What? What's wrong? He said, I'm having more kids. I said, having more kids? What do you mean? He went on to tell me his daughter volunteered to work at this camp. Chris, y'all like this story. He, and you may know Mike Gurley. I don't know. He's a, he goes to Tim Farrell's church in Bethel and Thompson. Uh, you know him? Y'all know them? Long story short, there's this organization that brings orphans from Romania, I want to say, or the, no, the Ukraine, brings them over to America for a couple weeks, and they bring prospective adoptive parents, and they spend a couple weeks at this camp together, and you get to know the kids, and and uh, if God leads, then the adoption process starts. Well, Mike's teenage daughter just volunteered to go work there because they need volunteers. Well, Mike said, well, if you're going to work there, I'll come cook and help you all some. It never in a million years crossed his mind to adopt. But there was a little boy there, about 13. He had a sister, about 15. 
And all through the week as Brother Mike cooked and cleaned and served and just interacted with these kids, those two grabbed his heart. They grabbed the heart of his daughter Hannah. And after the couple weeks was up, Mike went home. And he told his wife, he said, honey, you may think I'm crazy, but I believe that God wants us to adopt these two children. They'd been texting and talking every night and phone calls, and she said, I don't think you're crazy. He's been telling me the same thing. These folks spent like, I don't know, a hundred and something thousand dollars. It took about a year to do this. But about a year ago, or two years ago now, they brought home to America, to their home, these two precious preteens. And just a few months ago, they had the, I think it was a two-year birthday party, two years as being a part of the Gurley family party. And I called Brother Mike, and he sent me some pictures. And God is my witness to see the pictures from these children when they first came home to a year later, you can't even recognize them. These children had been neglected. These children had been uh, maybe abused. These children had been basically left to fend for themselves. But Mike and Leanne Gurley decided, you know what? We, we want you. We want to, I want to be your dad. And Leanne said, I want to be your mom. And today, Gage and Abby live right there on Brown Road in Harlem, Georgia, with the rest of them youngins. And they know this. They are wanted. And you know, God's a lot like that with us. You may think, well, man, there's not a place for me to serve. There's not a niche for me in God's family. I'm just not sure if I would fit in. Uh, let me assure you of something. You're wanted. God wants you. He loves you. Let me ask you this question while we move on. Our, see, it's our pride and arrogance that causes us, us to be ignorant of our needs. Tonight, will you and I, will we realize that God wants us just the way we are? See, they were trying to present themselves to God with all the goods of the city. But God says, I don't want your fancy stuff. I don't want your, your supposed Riches, I want you. I want the real you. I wonder tonight, would you overcome the, the ignorance of sin and selfishness and just bow to God and say, God, I'm taking off the mask. I'm bringing my real me to you. Revive me, Lord. Let me give you this third, third um, reminder. The first one is what? You are... Loved. Number two, you are wanted. Number three, you are challenged. We are challenged. In verse number 19, as many as I love, 
I rebuke and chasten. Now watch this. Then he says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous. Zealous literally means to burn. It means to be hot. Now here's the cool thing. Let me tie this little thing together here. Up in verse 15. Remember verse 15? He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And then it's as if Jesus has, as my mother used to say, had it up to here. Your mom ever say that? Boy, I've had it up to here. I thought, you got three, four more inches. I mean, we got room. I've had it up to here. And in verse 15, you, I kind of sense that attitude with Jesus. He says, you're not cold. You're not hot. He says, you're lukewarm. He says, in verse 15c, the last part, he says, I would thou were cold or hot. It's as if, as if he's mad, Buchanan. He says, I wish you would be one or the other. But then in verse 19, in verse 19, don't miss this. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. In verse 15, it's make a decision, cold or hot. In verse 19, you see his heart. What I really, I think he's saying what I really want. I want you to be hot. I want you to, I want that spiritual temperature to be up there. I want you to be on fire for God. I want you to be burning with zeal and fire and soul winning desire. And a, a heart that will minister to those in need. And a heart that will serve God as if we see his real want for us. I want you hot. 2 Timothy 1, 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He says, I challenge you to turn around, follow me again, be on fire for God. You know, everybody likes a good challenge, don't they? My father-in-law is the, I almost said he's the worst golfer in the world, but that's me. He's an avid golfer. He'll hit a shot and it'll go four million yards in the woods. And he'll say two things. Before he gets the ball on the drive over there, he'll say, number one, I got a club just for that. And then number two, he'll say, I love a good challenge. And I'm talking about it's in the, you know, somebody's swimming pool. A few years ago, we was all, my father-in-law and I and Hunter, and we was in Asheville, North Carolina. We were ministering to the homeless. And me, I was in the driver's side of my Suburban. Jerry was in the passenger's side, and Hunter was in the back. 
we went behind this grocery store, an Ingalls grocery store, because a lot of times in that area, anyway, people camp out back there. And sure enough, there was this man standing, just standing up in the corner of this backside of a grocery store, just kind of out of the way. You could just tell he was probably homeless just by his appearance. Very, very raggedy clothes and just had the appearance of he probably does not have a home. I pulled the Suburban right up close to where he was, and I told Jerry and Hunter, I said, y'all just hang tight. I'm going to get out and talk to this fella. Well, I got out, and the conversation, Todd, started off great. He was glad I was there, told me his name, and then all of a sudden, like two minutes into the conversation, it was Jekyll and Hyde, man. This dude went from, from shaking my hand and saying, God bless you, to he, was, he had a shotgun, he said he did, and he was going to kill the, uh, the president of Ingalls Grocery Stores because he killed his mother. All he was waiting for was the opportunity. He had on a big overcoat. It was cold. And I thought, he might have a shotgun. And he began to scream. He began to yell. And I was backing up, making my way over to the door of my Suburban so I could get back in. Because I saw this wasn't going to end good. And he came running over there and he came swinging. And I just kind of moved out of the way and he hit my Suburban. Wham! And like Mike Tyson, just started boxing my Suburban. I thought, man, no, man, my no. He was drunk. He'd stumble and then he'd hit my window. He'd stumble, hit my window. And I thought, this is how a guy's mind thinks. I'm like, just keep hitting the glass. Don't dent my quarter panel, you know. <laughs> I knew he, I didn't think he'd break the glass. And, but I couldn't get back in the car to escape because he was fighting my car. He was cursing. He was, it was bad. Finally, I'm like, hey, man, bet you can't get me. He turns around to come after me, and I ran over this way. I got in the car, and boom, I was out like Bo and Luke Duke. <laughs> Saw him at 6 o'clock the next morning at the city park. He was sober as anybody, uh, like Otis the next day, you know, and uh I said, hey, man, you remember me? He said, no. I said, yeah, I didn't think you would. My name's Travis, you know. You ever seen that movie, Fifty First Date? It's kind of like that, you know. It just reintroduced myself. Jerry, my father-in-law, he just laughed at me. He said, boy, your ministry's cool because it's always a challenge. <laughs> I said, it sure is a challenge. You know what God's going to do with us uh, this week during revival? He wants to challenge us. Be zealous. God's saying, get on fire. Repent. Just turn around and let's go. We've got things to do is what God's saying. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's take these revival reminders to heart. Amen. Let's all pray together. And I want to take a moment and I want to invite you. This is... This is Wednesday night before revival. Matter of fact, I wonder this. I wonder how many of our families 
men, ladies. I wonder if we could just gather around the altar and 